We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, you're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast bringing you interesting and big ideas from the small island of Tasmania. Our regular listeners would know that generally our themes cover science, technology, engineering and maths and today we're stepping into social science with my expert guest, Dr. Peter Cook. The show is proudly recorded in Lutruwita, Tasmania, and I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawa people, and the owners on where you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. So my expert guest is Dr. Peter Cook, a senior lecturer of sociology, ageing and dementia studies at the Wicking Dementia Research and Education Centre. Peter is a sociologist of knowledge with a specific focus on ageing, medical science, health illness and identity and embodiment. I'm really excited because Peter, my work actually is really interested in that, like how do we put something in the real world? And I feel like without sociology, you cannot think about how to put science in the real world because there's people there and people are complicated. People are incredibly complicated. (laughs) Yeah, really complicated. We can really understand something in the lab, but then once you put it out there with all of the ways that we interact as beings in actual reality becomes a very different thing. So we'll be diving into the prejudices that surround age or ageism and I think that this is something that's maybe thrown around a lot or it's really entrenched within society and I suppose it depends on what society you're in or the context but could you start by telling us firstly what's a sociologist? So first of all thanks for having me today. So sociology is a form of social science And specifically when it comes to sociology, sociology is the scientific study of human society. That includes looking at things like our social institutions, different social groups in our society, for example, based upon class, gender, in my case I'm interested in age. It also looks at the drivers and causes of social change and also looking at the everyday stuff like human relations and human interactions. So the great thing about sociology is that if it's something in human society, we're going to study it. And as a result, you'll find that sociologists are experts across a range of subjects, anything from terrorism to climate change to everyday experiences of living with different health and illness conditions. And in my case, focusing on ageing and older age. So what drew you to studying older age? And also, can you explain what ageism is or what we understand by that construct? Well, first of all, I'd say what drew me to studying ageing is simply seeing, first of all, a lot of the stereotypes and myths that surround ageing and what older people get judged upon or assessed upon as being based in this wider social reality, not actually based upon any biological facts. In talking about ageism, ageism is a form of prejudice and discrimination that's based upon age alone as the attribute. That primarily affects older people in our society, but it also affects younger people as well. It's much more acute for older people because one of the issues when it comes to ageism towards older people is the positive stereotypes associated with being an older person are so heavily outweighed by the negative stereotypes. And when it comes to younger people, what they have is the social privilege of youth. 
And what I mean by that is that in our society, we socially privilege youth. We see youthfulness as such a great and positive thing. And older people don't have that to fall back upon. Once again, that's based upon social perceptions. So for me, entering into this space of doing research with and for older people and also looking at ageism is really driven by concerns around social inequality and issues to do with social justice. That sounds like a really big topic and really admirable. Can you give me like a common example of ageism that you see very often or um, that you know you think is particularly prolific? I hate to say it, but I see examples of ageism every single day. There is not a single day that doesn't go by where I can't identify some form of ageism in our society. And the reason why is that ageism is deeply entrenched. It's something that we're taught from a very young age and it just becomes part of the way that we perceive and see the world. That's also why it's so hard to change because it is just ingrained. Ageist jokes are widely accepted and if you challenge them, it's often... um, Reaction to you challenging those jokes is often based upon this idea that you're not light-hearted enough, that you're taking things too seriously. I also wonder, how does common or prolific, like everyday entrenched ageism, like is there very obvious ways that that affects people, like in terms of self-determination or like how uh, confident they feel in their abilities? Like is there actual ways that you can look at people being aware of ageism and how that impacts them. What I'm thinking of there, just in case that's a really vague question, and what listeners might be like, oh my God, Neve, what are you trying to say? <laughs> um, it's like, what comes to mind for me is like, you know the way sometimes you get see an older person and they're really fit and gusto and it's a bit kind of like they're sticking it to the system and the stereotype and they're really proud of that about being really able and I love to see it. But then you also see someone who's maybe really frail and um, or grappling with, being more frail and with accepting that they're um, maybe becoming a burden. And I think that they only feel that way potentially because of the constructs that we have in society anyway, rather than looking at that they, this person now has additional needs. So that's what I mean by does ageism have impacts on the individual because of the way our society views it? And what are some of those impacts? Ageism has significant impacts upon individuals and it also has impacts upon our society more broadly as well. So first of all, When it comes to ageism and thinking about the impacts upon individuals, if someone grows up with ageist beliefs, so namely if they grow up and accept ageism as being acceptable and they believe in it, for example, that when you're an older person that you will socially withdraw from society, that it's inevitable that you will experience various forms of biological decline if they accept it as inevitable that they won't be engaged with society anymore, then that's more likely to be their social reality. That then leads to reductions in the quality of life as well as the quantity of life as well. So having that belief in that ageing equals all of these forms of withdrawal and decline can create what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy, that you live that out and that has consequences. The other side of it is too is that when we see an older person and we think they're frail, we then make a number of assumptions around what frailty is. What we have to keep in mind is that most older people rate their health as good or very good. Frailty is actually only a small proportion of older people in our society 
And so that's something that we need to keep in mind as well, that we often associate older age with frailty and decline, but that's not necessarily the reality of what people experience. Talking personally, I'd rather grow older and get to an older age and know that I'm going to be included and accepted in our society rather than be pushed to the margins and be treated as a less worthy human being. I mean, that's pretty reasonable. Stick with us and we'll be talking more to Peter about her work in just a moment. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name is Dr. Neve Chapman and I'm joined by Dr. Peter Cook, a Senior Lecturer of Sociology at the Wicking Dementia Research and Education Centre. Now we had a riveting introduction to the episode. Just do, do remember if you missed it and you're listening on radio, you can catch that wherever you would like to access your podcast. Just search That's What I Call Science. We had a riveting introduction to the concepts of ageism, what sociology is and how ageism actually is very costly for individuals in terms of their health, how they view themselves, uh, the types of healthcare they receive, but then also to society as a whole. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking more, Peter, about this. So one thing that you mentioned that I found really interesting was that there's fewer people that are older in clinical trials. And we've seen this with women play out as well. And it just means fundamentally we don't know how they respond to the types of drugs that we would give for common conditions like high blood pressure or high cholesterol or things that are um, typically associated with older age and with an aging population to me that was like a really big shock when I was doing um, my research that we actually don't know typically past 75 years of um, what might be most beneficial. So when you're talking about older age what age groups are we thinking of? That's an really good question and a really interesting question to ask because when I use the definition of older age I'm often talking 65 plus and the only reason I use that is because the Australian government define older age as 65 plus and that also then determines people's ability to access various services by being a particular age. Does that mean I personally think older age starts at 65 and the answer to that is not necessarily because people all age differently, not just biologically, but the way that they accept or reject messages around age within our society. So you will come across people who are younger than 65 that we might classify as older people simply because they might have comorbidities and other issues. That means that they're experiencing frailty and dependence at a younger age. But equally, I'm very fortunate to be in a family where I've had relatives reach the age of 100 and they still live pretty much independently. So this definition of when older age starts is what we would call a social construction. It's something that we create as a society and then we attach meaning to it. That's really interesting. I think most of us could probably personally identify with that because I remember when I was like a teenager and I thought that by 25 I would have a whole big career and I would have a family and I would have everything together and I would be so grown up. And then I reached 25 and I was like, I am a child. <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of the patterns is, is that gets talked about is that what it means to be old is 15 years older than what you are now. Yeah, exactly. And, and you do see um, sometimes when people are talking about ageing, you sometimes see that pattern 
For me personally, I think because I do research in the area and I've had people in my family live to quite advanced age, for me, older age is actually something that's way, way off. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder um, what kind of ways do you go about factoring in sociology within how we study an older population? Like what is the comes to mind of like the way you've gone about researching a question because it's quite a foreign concept to many people sociology so for me what I'm really interested in are people's lived experiences so you introduce me as a sociologist of knowledge and what a sociologist of knowledge is all about is essentially how do we make meaning in our society how do we attribute meaning to different objects and different people and our lives so part of what I'm interested in is lived experiences For me to examine people's lived experiences means that I heavily draw upon qualitative methods of research. I do have expertise also in quantitative methods, but I very much gravitate towards the qualitative because like we're doing right now, having conversations with people is where you can develop really in-depth understandings of experiences. So I spend a lot of time doing things like interviews with people, focus groups. I also work in lots of visual methods using photography and so on. And by examining those in-depth experiences and spending a lot of time with people, it really helps me understand people's place in our society. I can then look at my data set and start to look at common themes and common issues that come out across my data set. So that's generally the way that I approach doing my research. That's really interesting. So one thing that instantly comes to mind that we're all currently living as our lived experience is the COVID-19 pandemic and our lives have massively changed. But also there was a lot in the media or just generally about, well, it's only older people and vulnerable groups that are most at risk. We should all carry on was the view in some media outlets or in some countries. And I wonder, have you done any work in this space about older people's lived experiences or attitudes towards the pandemic and how they've been impacted? So in regards to COVID-19, one thing I noticed really early on in Australia was use of this term, the elderly. And that was being used to refer to all older people. So right from the start, what I was interested in is how this was being discussed in the media and the types of language they were using and the types of stories that were being propagated. So my focus during COVID-19 has very much been looking at some of the media commentary around COVID-19. The term the elderly is a really problematic phrase because the term the elderly is quite stigmatising and it implies frailty and dependency. And unfortunately, during COVID-19, we've seen that phrase become more and more accepted. So instead of older people being the group that are being referred to, it's the elderly. This type of language has a stigmatising quality that singles out a population and kind of marginalises them. And it homogenises a population as well. So older people are an incredibly diverse population group. Some of them if they contract COVID-19, are going to be, if you like, more vulnerable and sick from the virus. However, that's more likely due to living with comorbidities. And comorbidities is something that is not age-specific. That's something that's common across different population groups. 
all of us are actually at risk of COVID-19. It's not COVID-19 which is discriminating. We're the ones who are discriminating. And so when we put extra restrictions on a particular population or group of people, we are very much stigmatising that group. So, for example, when it came to the outbreaks of COVID-19, the second wave, as it was called last year in Melbourne, people that were living in aged care facilities had extra restrictions placed upon them compared to wider society. Yes, there's people living in aged care who are more vulnerable to the virus, but at the same time, there's significant consequences that come from isolating a population group for so long. For example, if we talk about people living with dementia, people who are living with dementia within aged care facilities might be used to a particular person feeding them. And that might be a family member. And if that family member is not allowed in anymore, that has significant consequences for that person living with dementia because they might refuse to eat. They might start behaving in ways that other people consider to be acting up. That might lead to increased chemical restraint being placed upon that person, unnecessarily so. So our policies and regulations, while we can understand they'll be in place to protect people, at the same time, we need to understand the consequences of those actions and when they are applied unevenly, what the problem with that is. Thanks, Peter. That sounds like really excellent work and important to be using different methods for looking at how things have been talked about within the pandemic and the impacts that they may have. And I think you've given us a really beautiful example. Stick with us for our final part. We'll be talking more to Dr. Peter Cook from the University of Tasmania. And in this segment, we'll be talking about age-friendly communities. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name's Dr. Neve Chapman and I'm joined by Dr. Peter Cook and today we've been talking about ageism. Think back to an offhand remark by an acquaintance about using a smartphone, a joke about losing your memory, an ad focusing on removing wrinkles or grey hair. I think every day we're bombarded with examples that youth is desirable and old age is to be avoided and that we should be all very sad about the inevitable, well hopefully inevitable, future that faces us if we are lucky enough to age and grow older. Ageism plays out in day-to-day interactions and one person who's very familiar with that and the consequences of it is my expert guest Dr Peter Cook from the University of Tasmania Wicking Centre. So Peter what are some of these examples and how entrenched are they or pervasive are they within our society? I think you've opened with some really good examples about how entrenched ageism is in our society. For me a A classic example that I often talk to people about are birthday cards. So let's say you want to buy a birthday card for an older person and you want one that isn't a really soppy (laughs) card. You want one that might be a little bit funny. Well, if you look at the cards when it comes to older people, and here I'm really talking about older people as in terms of over the age of 21 – you'll find that a lot of these cards make fun of the ageing process. And so they focus on labelling ageing as equaling decline in various ways. Cognitive decline, physical decline, psychological decline, sexual decline, all these different forms of decline. Now that's not exactly a very positive message to hand on to someone else about the ageing process. Now someone might say to me, well, I choose them because they're funny and it's not my intent. 
However, it's not necessarily the intent. It's what the message is behind that card that's a significant thing. And just imagine if you receive a whole pile of birthday cards where they all have this negative message about what you're going through, which is aging. And in fact, we're all going through aging. We're all aging. So birthday cards are a really classic example. I'm currently working on with Council on the Aging Tasmania of trying to create a new range of birthday cards which focus on more positive messages that we can share about aging. But of course, for me, the other one that's really classic, which is every day, are anti-aging fill in the blank. Mm. So anti-aging moisturisers or anti-aging food groups. So this is something that's really common as well. So just before today, I was actually flicking through some advertising around some specials which were on skincare and the amount of that claim to be anti-aging or wrinkle-fighting properties is quite common. So these aspects that we associate with the signs of aging are something that we're expected to mask and if we don't engage with that process we're not seen to be doing the best thing that we can by ourselves that somehow we've let ourselves go but aging is a normal process the problem is is that we decry aging and we hate aging but at the same time we celebrate longevity The only way we can live a long time is if we age. And this is why celebrating the aging process and trying to embrace the aging process is actually going to be really positive for individuals and our society. As we're talking here today, you'll notice that I've kept all my grey hair or silver hair or white hair. And for me, that's part of my statement around trying to embrace this process. It doesn't mean that I don't get self-conscious sometimes or sometimes look in the mirror and wonder if I should dye my hair because like everyone else, I know these messages and I've grown up with these messages. At the same time, I'm trying to challenge these messages through my work and also challenge myself sometimes in the way that I might think. That's really admirable. Could we ever be an age-friendly society or what is an age-friendly community? So as in terms of having a society that embraces the aging process is that possible well I like to think it's possible but I often say to people if I could wave my magic wand and get rid of ageism in our society I would but I know that this is a major structural change and what we know about social change is they take a long long time for that to actually occur So this is why we need to start making changes both individually and also structurally to our society in order to have a more age-friendly society. But when we talk about age-friendly communities in a built environment context, it's something slightly different. So age-friendly communities, they do exist throughout the world. The World Health Organization has an age-friendly cities network. So here in Tasmania, Burnie City Council and Clarence City Council, they're two age-friendly cities that we have recognised here Mm. in Tasmania by the World Health Organisation. Now, what an age-friendly community means is that really it's a community where people can essentially age in place. And when I say age in place, I'm not talking about older people, remembering that all of us are ageing. So it's about ageing across the lifespan. So it's about having society where things are accessible and inclusive So the other way I think about age-friendly societies is simply inclusive societies where our built environment and our social environments are structured in a way to make sure they include people from across different age groups. Now, 
confronting ageism and dealing with ageism is actually a really important part of that because one of the facets of having an age-friendly society is one that's based upon social inclusion and respect. So that is an important facet. But other important facets are things like transportation. Um, Other important facets are things like that we have good social networks in place in order for people to feel like they're welcome in that society. So there's a number of different elements around age-friendly societies. And as I said, it's really important that we think about that as across the life course. One of the things that I'm finding quite challenging is a lot of research just looks at age-friendly societies as applying to older people. But once again, we're all ageing. So we need our societies to cater to across lots of different age groups. I loved your example about birthday cards and I feel like I'm going to look at birthday cards very differently from now on. Um, But how could an individual maybe go about reflecting on whether or not they hold ageist prejudices? I think there's simple things to keep in mind. First of all, I would say that just remember we live in an ageist society. So we all carry these ageist beliefs and there's some times when I find, even though I'm immersed in this area and I study it, there's times when I have to catch myself out Now, in those times when I might say something out loud and I then realise, hang on, that sounds ageist, I then backtrack. So I make sure that I apologise for my mistake and then I explain what I really meant to say. Uh, So I think it's really important that we check our own language and we check our own thoughts. So if we think that the slow driver in front of us and we start saying, oh, must be an old woman, that we then check ourselves in that situation There can be lots of reasons why we might have a slow driver in front of ourselves. So we need to check the assumptions that we have as well as the language that we speak. But doing basic things like choosing different birthday cards also help. If we catch someone out and they're saying something that we think might be ageist, it's always good to then try and have maybe a conversation. And it's not calling a person out saying, hey, you're ageist because they're likely to then defend themselves, but rather just ask them, oh, why do you? Why did you say that? Why do you think that? And that can open up different conversations as well. For me, I think it's also useful just talking to people about reflecting upon older people in their lives. What are the older people in your life like? And it's likely that you know a lot of older people who don't fit this stereotype and myth that we think about older age. They're not special and unique in your life because there's lots of people that are going to be like that in an older age group. So I think that's a really important strategy that we can do day to day. Thanks so much, Peter. I love when we can finish an episode on something that's on the individual level, how we can challenge ourselves and what we can take away from an episode. You've been a fantastic guest and it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and I hope we can have you on again in the future. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to That's What I Call Science, either via podcast or radio. We love bringing you science-related content and hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, you can get in touch with us on social media. Just search That's What I Call Science. My name's Dr. Neve Chapman. Once again, thank you to my expert guest, Dr. Peter Cook, and thank you to Olivia. Holloway behind the scenes for the preparation for today's episode. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. 
GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.